Hey, this is Lisa FM. Today I'm joined by Genevieve Fowler, uh, theater director and extraordinaire <laughs> and best friend of mine since uh, we were fat fourth graders, really. Yep. I mean, right. So true. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to clump you on with me on that one. No, you're you're not wrong. <laughs> um, and I'm just really, really happy to see her and to have her on the show. Um, this is so funny that we're just like sitting here with microphones in front of our face. But thank you so much for joining me, Genevieve. Of course. Thanks for having me. Um, so I decided to have you in here this week because, A, you're an esteemed guest and you've done so much in the theater world in Chicago, out east, Vassar, and then all around, really. Um, but B, you've got a show going up this weekend, and it sounds really exciting. So uh, tell me a little about, about the play and about what you know what it is, where it came from, who wrote it, real quick. Yeah, so the show is called um, Here Comes the Tide, There Goes the Girl, and it's written by a New York playwright named Nadia Leonhard Hooper. Um, who also happens to be my creative partner and a uh, very best friend from college. We went to Vassar together, where we kind of created this play together while we were there. Um, and while we were there, we were wrestling with the classics quite a bit, and specifically with Hamlet uh, and the character of Ophelia, and in this trope of mad women and beautiful drowning and all this bullshit uh, that Shakespeare likes to write. <laughs> and as, you know, young millennial women, we were like, what the fuck? Um, this is not us. And this trope has done a lot of damage to women throughout time. So we created this play. Back then it was called uh, Here um, Lies the Water, Here Stands the Man. So a little different. And then over the past two years, we've been rewriting and workshopping and have this new piece um, that is a truer adaptation of Hamlet. That It's a dark comedy. Uh, it's still us wrestling with this Ophelia character, but um, in this version, it's, it's a lot funnier, and it's Ophelia is turning into a fish. Um, Paul, who is Polonius, can't remember anything. Claudius can't stop eating because he's murdered someone. Gertrude is just a diva, uh, and she is ruling the sandcastle. And Hamlet is like a brat, and they are all on a summer vacation down in Florida. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and it's, it's kind of us exploring that, you know, women aren't drowning. Women have always been swimming and always been doing so with, like, humor and comedy. Um, and so it's us wrestling with the play, with this classic. Um, hopefully it goes well. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm, now I'm feeling like a total failure because I think the last time I read Hamlet was freshman year of college in like my Shakespeare, intro to Shakespeare class. Can you remind me who Ophelia is? What's oh, her man. role? Oh, what, what happens? She doesn't her? have a role oh, okay. is the real thing. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> That's the problem. She's not a character. Uh, I think she says, yes, my lord. 33 times in the original text. No, I'm not. And that's the majority oh of what she God. says. But she is the, the trope of the um, ingenue who is beautiful and because her love kills her father and leaves, she goes crazy. And her major scene is that she's singing these songs and everyone's like, oh, poor Ophelia. She is so sad. And then she drowns herself. Um and that's pretty much her entire, like, you could take her out of the play and the play could still happen. Huh. She doesn't matter at all. But um, dramaturgically, if you look at her history and how she has affected women uh, throughout history, it's it's been huge. Like, years and years and years ago, in insane asylums, people used to dress up women like Ophelia's and paint them. Um, and if you look in art museums, like, there are so many paintings of like the beautiful drowned woman in the river uh and i think she is kind of what we look to when we look to insanity and like madness in women and all those crazy stereotypes have like come out of this character a lot um it's it's crazy wow it's fucked up yeah no kidding um what was the first time you you read hamlet do you oh man do you remember would it have been at Ignatius? It might Those have. bright, happy high school days? Yeah. <laughs> so real. Um, yeah, I think I read Hamlet. Actually, I think I read it outside of Ignatius, but when I was a senior um, and hated it. Yeah. I think I was like, 
this is a play that I'm supposed to read. And I was going through a Shakespeare phase. And I was like, <laughs> this sucks. Yeah. Like, none of these characters are likable. Hamlet is a little whiny bitch who, like, refuses to take action, which is the point of it, um, really, is that, like, he can't. He's stuck. And, right. And can't do anything. Um, but, yeah, I've just... Shakespeare's tough. Shakespeare, I think, paves the way for a lot of theater happening in this country, and sometimes in a really negative way. So I think Hamlet doesn't. Tell things. me, tell me about that. Um, I think this country, more so than Europe or Asia or anywhere else, has kind of been colonialized by Shakespeare a little bit, and by the classics. Um, and so we're stuck very much in this world of like plays of white men about white men by white men, um, unsurprisingly, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we hold Shakespeare and the Greeks to such a high esteem that most of our playwrights have been trained studying that, most of our theater makers have been trained studying that, and it really um, changes the way you you make things um, and you look at art and the type of art you're making because it follows this pattern and it follows these voices that aren't necessarily inclusive um, I think there's something really, really great about Shakespeare because ridiculous things happen and you're allowed to go all over the place and the heightened language is cool and looking um, at it from a modern lens, there's a lot to work with because because it's so different from what we are. But also, I look at most of the plays happening today and I'm like, oh, well, you're the same form. You're about the same topics. You have the same actors. And why is that? Yeah. And I think it's because of the classics being so deeply rooted in our institutions um, and so highly respected when really if we just kind of like tore them apart and then put them back together which is what Nadia and I are trying to do with this piece maybe you'd get a lot more freedom and agency and exploration and furthering the form totally yeah absolutely um so let's rewind a little bit let's go back to um uh, your days as a, as a youth in the uh, <laughs> theater of western springs I believe it was yes. um let's talk about why why theater what, 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 well, let's get into the influences, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Can you think, how do you, how do you want to do that? Do you want to talk about influences to the show specifically or to your directorial career? Or what, what do you want to, they're probably, where do you want to start with? Similar. Yeah, yeah totally. So wherever you want to. Um, no, you. Uh, <laughs> okay, we'll start. Give me, give me the first one. What's the first thing that pops into mind for like influences? You don't have to go back to fourth grade in uh, Line the Witch in the Wardrobe by any means. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You played it You're great. just bringing what it all your, back. I know. I'm sorry. What I was, was a great Mrs. Beaver. Mrs. Beaver. Mm-hmm. Yes, you were. My first and last acting endeavor. <laughs> Thank God for all those audiences. No, I believe your last one was uh, your mustard seed in oh, yeah. Mid- Midsummer Night's Another Spring. Shakespeare. Yes. I was your number one fan. Wow, you stole well, all of these, I and I'm sorry did. about that. I know. Well, you, you had to sit through me in Grapes of Wrath as... True. Rose, Rosalie or whatever. Yeah. Giving birth to a dead baby on stage. Oh, you're so right. That happened. Yeah, that was rough. Um, but okay. Um, I think my influences have changed quite a bit over the over the years. Like I said, uh, it's interesting this question of influences in the theater because it's such a collaborative art form. Yeah. So really you can think about it in so many different ways. I am a director, so I look at a lot of other directors, but obviously the playwrights deeply affect whatever you're doing because you're doing their plays Mm -hmm. or actors who are doing interesting work or uninteresting work. Um, I think a lot of my influences are a good mixture of people whose work I really, really enjoy and I think are really pushing the boundaries of what theater is supposed to be versus... Shakespeare or classicists or whatever, the majority who are not pushing the boundaries. Yeah. Um, and me actively trying to work against that norm. Right. So it's almost like an influence that you're trying to push the yeah. boundaries of. That's just like inherent in all theater, really. Totally. Um, but okay, so what's what's the first name or, or so show that comes name, to mind? So the first name who comes to my mind, who really influenced this piece and me as a director, is Thomas Ostermeyer. Okay, tell so me about him. Um, he's a German-based director, and a lot of European directors I find really, really interesting because of the freedom in which they create. Uh, so Thomas Ostermeyer is based in Berlin. Um, he's incredible. He does a lot of reimagined classics. And I, when I was at the National Theater Institute four or five years ago, um, saw a recording of his version of Hamlet, which was entirely in German, 
Um, and do you it, speak German? No. I don't think so. But I no, was like, I do not. not. <laughs> Um, if I did, I would be saying a lot more of the German theater names, right. but for fear of mispronunciation, <laughs> I'm not going to. <laughs> Cheers to that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he does a lot of classics, and um, he the the power he takes um, to reinterpret them and literally rearrange them um, in this production. The grave digger, grave digger scene of Hamlet, which is a really small clown scene that most people usually skip over, was the first thing that happened. It was outside. The stage was entirely dirt. And it was 10 minutes of two men silently tripping over a coffin. Um, and it was amazing. And he had Ophelia and Gertrude played by the same actress uh, and doing like a Gollum-esque transformation between scenes. Um, and a lot of live video uh, throughout the piece. So I think there's something about when you take one of the classics and you can't do it in English yeah, and you have to translate it, that gives you agency to do whatever you want, right. which is really so exciting. Changing the main big yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, so how not? do you do verse yeah. in right. German? I don't think you can. The meter is never going to be correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't speak German, so I don't know that, yeah. but I assume... Um, so I've seen quite a few of his productions now, and they're always visually stunning and super interesting and kind of a shit show of theatrics. Cool. Um, but always, like, deeply moving and also push you as an audience member. So when it comes to these these reinterpretations um, by, by him or by you or by whoever, like, what gives... What makes that... I have two questions. Mm-hmm. A, what gives you the right to reinterpret Shakespeare... You know, I mean, I'm not saying that in a yeah, you know, but but really, I'm sure that's something that you get a lot, or people that would be a criticism. Um, totally. So you can take that question first. <laughs> um, I don't think anyone gives me the right to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly privileged of me. Like, who has the right to do theater? <laughs> right? Um, we're playing playing pretend for a living. Uh, I think theater is really, really necessary for humanity. A lot of people don't. Um, (laughs) Some of my family are like, oh, you're acting up there. That's great. And I'm like, not what I do. Also, I don't think you understand the form, which is fine. Um, But I think, uh, especially in this day and age, when women and people of color and politically there is so much on the line, you need to start... um, looking at these forms and at these plays that are the basis of your society and you can like do a wonderful production of Hamlet that is really true to the text and maybe put an all African-American cast in there and someone may be like well well who are you to do that but that's really important um to represent different voices right or different identities or putting untraditional casting as bullshit of a phrase as that is onto the stage just to mirror how our society looks so when I'm like reinterpreting a text like this I think a lot of classicists would not give me permission luckily I am privileged enough that I can still do it yeah um, and to them, I say, you do not have to come if you right. do not agree and you give or them a like nice it. middle finger <laughs> yeah um but though I would love to have them there to start the discussion. Yeah. Theater is all about starting a discussion, right? And making a catalyst for change mm-hmm. within yourself or within someone else. Um, so I actually think having those opposing viewpoints in the room is really exciting because maybe they hate the piece, but then maybe we can talk about it. And then talk about like, well, why are we still doing Shakespeare? Why am I reimagining it? Why do you want to do it as a straight play? Like what, where is our disconnect and how do we bridge that divide? Um, so I think using it actively, I get permission to use it as a tool mm-hmm. to create those conversations and those dialogues. I give myself permission because I think the story is really important and the story of Ophelia is really important for women. Yeah. Um, so we need to somehow figure out how to fill in that character if she is going to still be a major player in like the American theatrical setting. Absolutely. Totally. Um, and what's the difference between, you know, doing something like, like this, that recreating this, everybody's read Hamlet or like most everybody's read Hamlet, you know, mm-hmm. between creatively making that a thing of the recreation of that or a retelling of that versus starting with something new? Like for you, is there more of a responsibility in one or the other? Is it easier to just make something new? Is it harder to kind of 
work with these preconceived characters and notions? Like what, I don't know, it might be a hard question, but. It is a hard question. I think it's an important question. Um, I think they both have value, uh, a lot of value. I also love doing new play development. That's my, if I'm not reimagining a classic, I'm probably hopefully staging a new play um, just because the in-between isn't so interesting to me. Uh, I love Sam Shepard, but I don't want to do another buried child just normally. (laughs) Been there, seen that. Um, But I think they both hold uh, equal amounts of weight and importance. um, Though Again, the reimagining, I think, deals with our past and the foundation that has been created for the theater. And new work is an opportunity to bring new voices, new identities um, onto the stage, which is so, 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 so important. And I think Chicago is starting to do it, which is exciting. Um, But to have like a really, really inclusive theater community with a lot of new, often unheard voices and identities and figures um, to expand our audiences and to expand the stories that we're telling because like I said they've been really boxed in yeah so I don't know if that answered your question no, totally I mean it was a, it was a broad question so I don't really <laughs> know what I was expecting uh, let's move on to influence number two who would you uh, cite or what would you cite oh and it can be an experience or it can be a um sure yeah influence number two a lot of my training was based uh, in non- text. Uh, So I look to Anne Bogart a lot. She's the creator of Viewpoints, which is a physical style of storytelling or a training tool um, that is all about ensemble building and physicality and movement and non-textual creation. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. What kind of movement? Like, Um, well, there are a bunch of different viewpoints and it's not, it's not like modern dance, right? It's, uh, it's storytelling. It's storytelling, but it's it's one of the viewpoints is gesture, and okay. it's all about the gestures we build and create as actors and as humans, and how do you employ that on stage? And you can do it really naturalistically, um, or you can put like six gestures in a row, and you have a movement piece, um, or topography, which is that's another viewpoint, um, and that's kind of the landscape of the stage and each other's bodies, and how do you move in space together? So there's a bunch of them. Uh, and it's it's often used as a training tool. I try not to put it on stage too much because if you're not Anne Bogart, it will probably just look, <laughs> look stupid, look really dumb. <laughs> yeah, or like your theater friends will be like, "Oh, you're so hyper intellectual, right. yeah. like putting the viewpoints on the stage." <laughs> so what? Okay, what kind of training? Like, are we talking like they don't you don't talk at all in that kind of? Yeah, well, so sometimes the way I use it, I use it with music a lot. So I'll have my actors in a space and I'll either put on a song and I'll be like, great, you need to move in the space, take into account. Oh, what song? It depends on the show. This uh, show, we didn't use it too much, but when we did, we put on a lot of like 50s, 60s soul because that's what's in the show. Oh, cool. Um, So songs in the show are like... Something Stupid by Frank and Nancy Sinatra or Unchained Melody. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just the music and the vibe of the play. Love it. So it's, you're creating the world with the sound and then you're having, telling your actors to look at specific viewpoints. So like, I'd say look at topography and gesture, go and move. Um, And they kind of end up building silent scenes or you figure out power structures or you figure out who your character is and then you can shape that I would go in and shape that and put that on stage later on that sounds like so vague to me and so like impossible to direct I don't you know is it is it like really for you you've you've trained with it Mm -hmm. like what does that even involve you know how is it measurable to the success of or the actors or is it just really just about getting that into that world um yeah, it's tough. Uh, it's it's. I like it because it takes a lot of the pressure off of me. Yeah. Um. So I like to be a collaborator in the room, and I like my actors to take agency, and this is the way they can. Um. So yeah, it's really good at getting, um, at world building, mm-hmm. um, and character building, but also. I'm a visual director, so if I see moments happen between them, after a viewpointing session is over, I can be like, okay, recreate that moment. Okay, add these lines in. Oh. Um, okay, add other bodies in, and you can build a scene that way. Yeah. But d- yeah. a lot of it is like the actors generating. It's a lot of uh, 
generating new material cool. and images and stuff that I yeah. can then distill and kind of stack on top of each other to then make a play. Right. I love that. Um, so so of this, this play, the specific uh, here comes the tide, there goes the girl. Is there a lot of that nonverbal? Do you guys did this? You wrote a script, obviously. Yeah. And is it in Shakespearean? No, no, it is not. Okay. Um, it is. It is not in verse at all. Uh, thank God. We <laughs> do such a pain in the ass. Oh, Nadia is a good playwright, but <laughs> I don't. I don't know many people who can rewrite in verse. Yeah. That is a. That's a thing. Yeah. Uh, that's a skill. Totally. Um, we do have some movement stuff. Um, it was interesting the other day in rehearsal, we were playing with a scene um, that has a movement sequence written into it, but it's text leading up to it. Uh, and we use the song Crying um, underneath the entire thing by Roy Orbison. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Um, and it's it's the equivalent of the nunnery scene mm-hmm. in, in Hamlet where... Uh, Polonius and Claudius are spying under the table and they're like, Ophelia, look you upon this book and break up with Hamlet. And Hamlet comes in and they they kind of break up and Hamlet realizes that she has been a pawn in this greater game and that Claudius is in the room and Mm -hmm. he's like, get thee to a nunnery. Oh yeah, Um, I know that line. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's our, we were working on and distilling that um, and Nadia wrote out four pages of beautiful, wonderful text and we're playing, crying, and we're doing the movement sequence. And then I think at one point in rehearsal, we were like, well, what if what if we try it without any of the text? Um, and walk through your beats and walk through your blocking just with the song. Um, and it was beautiful. Oh my and God, the I just same, got chills. Yeah. That so cool. Yeah, the, the same. Um, it was really clear what was happening. The message was coming through without any of the text. Yeah. And so now we're moving forward with, you know, a good seven minutes of the play having an, a really important scene without any text and just having this song. Um, so we're exploring a lot. Like yeah. when is when is text necessary? When is it not? Um, what does that look like? What does that sound like? Is it silent? Is it music? Right. We employ music a lot in this play. Um, sometimes I think that's just more powerful yeah. and visually interesting. Right. So. Totally. Um, I'm, I told you I'm in this TV film writing class um, at Second City and – one thing that we learned was like every other page should have like a moment or like at least half a page be silent or like be nonverbal um, a moment alone with your main character or whatever. Is that like a, a rule in theater or I mean, there's so much eh, it's like rules are to know. be broken. But I'm not a playwright yeah. and I am. Anyone will tell you. I stuck at that. I'm a great <laughs> editor. <laughs> but Oh, good. I'll send um, you my script. <laughs> do it. I'm down. Um, but. I don't know if that's a rule. I think because theater is so physical, I I think that's a great rule. I would employ that. I hopefully do employ that yeah. in my work. Um, but I don't know if anyone's said that. I think I think engaging the body as much as like the brain and your mouth and your yeah. your voice is so important it's and a so often art. Yeah. overlooked. Yeah. Um, and a lot of training programs do like viewpoints, for instance, really prioritizes your body over the text but then also um traditionally in this country a lot of it is like uh is more about like your brain and your thought and your psychological process Mm -hmm. and i think if you don't marry those two ideas then there's going to be a disconnect between you and your audience um really really quickly totally absolutely interesting um okay moving right right along to uh numero trace oh my gosh um so uh, a lot of the, I'm going to go to Chicago-based stuff. Great, um, awesome. the, the two theater companies, so this can maybe be three and four. Okay, cool. Um, who have been influencing me a lot lately are Looking Glass and Steppenwolf, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Two big <laughs> I'm like, players. lately? Mm, always. Well, actually, for me, it's been it's been really? recently. Good. So talk about that. Let's talk, want to talk uh, Steppenwolf first? Sure. You, you guys have had a, I don't know what that was. <laughs> What was that? I don't know. That was scary. Okay. Uh, let's talk about Steppenwolf. Mm-hmm. You've um, had a uh, like a membership there with your family for yeah, that's years. been oh I went and I've to gone my... to several plays with you guys there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did we see the glass menagerie and I was like, what the fuck's going on? We did see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I went to my first Steppenwolf play 
when I was eight and I saw The Cherry Orchard directed by Tina Landau. And I still remember a whole lot about it um, because I am really lucky that my parents have a a membership there and my dad often doesn't want to go. So Mm -hmm. I would go in his stead. Um, But I think in the past, and so they, Steppenwolf and and the way they create theater has obviously been a big influence in my life because it's something that I was seeing all the time. Um, But in the last couple years since Anna Shapiro took over as artistic director, I think the work they're doing is way more exciting and important um, because one, they've expanded a ton and are now kind of shepherding in smaller theater companies onto their stages, which is exciting. But also just the work they're doing is way more relevant and important. Um, So, for instance, I just saw Passover there. Um, What's that? It is a play um, inspired by Waiting for Godot, um, but it is about two black youth stuck on the corner Mm -hmm. um, and kind of the stereotypes that come into their lives um, and trying to pass over and trying to, you know, get off the block and the white Colonel Sanders-esque Southern gentleman coming in and what that looks like and the white cop coming in and what that looks like. and the play was pretty controversial. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people were very moved by it. And a lot of people found it really problematic. Um, but I think it was a pretty huge risk that they did it and really, really, really important work. Um, I found it pretty moving, but I'm also a white woman. Yeah. So I think it was geared to kind of wake up a white audience. And um, I actually saw it. And there was a an hour-long talk back with three black artists afterwards who were kind of uh, tearing the piece apart a little bit in a really interesting way. What did they say? Um, They said that, you know, a lot of the play was because it was based around Waiting for Godot, which is a piece of theater that the characters are based off stereotypes Mm -hmm. and ideologies. Um, And so she was bringing her characters into that world. And that's really dangerous to do when you have two black men on stage. Um, And so you may be reinforcing a negative identity to a white audience and you may be cutting off a connection between a black audience or an audience of color and these characters. Um, And that was really interesting to have someone say that uh, and me just sit and listen and take it in because I think my place in that audience is just listening and observing and learning um, and I'm really grateful to Steppenwolf to do this panel because I think it's way more productive than if they were to do a talk back and let, you know, their upper middle class white folk uh, comment on the, try yeah. to unpack oh, the play. God. Which I they hate. Do. I, I'm, I hate talk backs. I've gone to uh, several <laughs> and I always just like, I'm just always eye rolling. I'm like, what? Shut up. It is so, an art form. I feel like so many people go just so they can go to the fucking talk back and be like, I'm going to expound some uh, theories on blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's like, uh, what was your question? Like, yeah. It pisses me off. They're, sometimes they're rough. I'm not, I've, I've had to lead quite a few and um, they can be, yeah, I, I think it's an ever expanding art form that, that we have not yet perfected yeah. how to effectively lead a conversation on the play. I think they're important unpacking the work that you're doing or the work that you just saw, especially if it's challenging you, which hopefully it is, right. is really important. But if you're just letting the same voices speak or letting them speak uncommented on, sometimes you can get some negative outcomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have a talk back after your show? Probably not. Undecided or like, no, definitely not. Undecided. It is new work. So, um, I think it would be helpful to see if people are understanding. But at the same time, it's kind of like turning, like turning the comment section on on your yeah. photo or whatever. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, true. And also, I'm like, you know what? I can get my parents' opinions yeah, exactly. later that night, or the opinions of some of my senior citizens yeah. are coming. Oh, and... yeah. Tell me about that that senior citizen program that you work for, really oh, quick. Sure. Um, I work for a a theater company called Still Acting Up. <laughs> <laughs> that was the name. Oh, that's the name. <gasps> oh my god, I don't know what that beeping is. It's scary. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so still acting up is uh, Chicago's premier senior citizens musical theater troupe, <sighs> and they write and tour original musicals around Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have ten of them, and ages I think it's seventy-seven to ninety-five. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and so we are currently working on our newest musical, The Last Resort, <laughs> which is our take on dirty dancing and finding oh, love God. at a resort That's when adorable. you're over 55. Holy shit. That's so cute. Wow. Yeah. So they're coming to the show. Okay, good. So if they can come, then. Then everybody can come. Everybody <laughs> should come. Just um, to see them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> react to this <laughs> play. Which, you, what do you anticipate the reaction will be? I told them the other day during rehearsal um, that it was pretty weird. It was like pretty wacky and out there. And they were like, weirder than us? <laughs> and you were like, like, yes. Different kind of weird. Yeah, very different. <laughs> very different guys. Yeah. Um, but they're supportive and they're artistically minded yeah. and, and pretty uh, weird themselves. Yeah, totally. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm intrigued to see how an, an older audience reacts because I think it's a play that a lot of millennials will just like go with and get. Mm-hmm. Um, but the soundtrack sounds like it might be yeah. age appropriate for the the older folks. Totally, huh? Um, so let let's talk about the cast and and your actual direction of you know that what how many people are in the show? There are five. Five. Yes. Good number. Yeah. Um, how did you cast it? Like, what, what's the how that whole process go? So we had a casting director. Oh, really? Um, okay, cool. Yeah, we we brought in this uh, chick, Eleanor Axt, who is wonderful. Good name. Yes, uh, <laughs> she's incredible. She sounds like a legend. Oh, she is. Uh, she will be. Um, yeah, but she is a, a freelance uh, casting director in the city who I ran into through my casting travels. Mm-hmm. Um, and she ran auditions for us and brought in all of these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, and we have this island of misfit toys now who are putting on this play. How so? Tell me about them. Um, so they're they're all really different and they're really interesting. Men um, and women? Yeah. So it's three women of color. Okay. And two white men. Great. Oh, yeah. Um, Sounds like a... I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> but it was important to me to have like a really as diverse as I possibly could uh, cast. And it was also important to me that Hamlet was still a white man Mm -hmm. and that the men doing violence um, were not men of color. Yeah. Um, Though Claudius, who is the murderer in this piece, is played by a woman named Taylor Dalton, who went to Vassar with me, who is uh, Latina, and she is going to be in full drag. Doing, Hell yeah. yeah, doing this role, which is really, really, really exciting to me. Oh my god, fun. Um, and doing it really well. Yeah. So she is incredible. And then we have an actor, Tony Grayson, who's playing Paul, who's a comedian in the city. He uh, lives and runs um, a comedy show slash DIY house called The Shithole. Yes. Yeah. I know who that is. Yeah. Where's he from? He is from Oak Park. He went to okay. NYU. So another person that runs that with him is like his mom is in my spin class. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. You must invite her. Oh my god. <laughs> I will. I'm, we're Facebook friends recently. Done. Uh, That's Barb, amazing. This one goes out to you. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So he is in it. I've we, heard of him too. That name, Tyler Grayson. He's Tony. A, Tony. Tony Grayson. Oh well, then maybe not. <laughs> his twin brother, Tyler. Um. So him. Him. Uh, is we, he Hamlet? No, he's Polonius, okay, Paul. Right. Yeah. Um, our Hamlet is a, a wonderful actor named Alex Stein, um, who is just an up-and-coming actor in the city. He's he's great. He went to the University of Chicago. Um, he's he's wonderful. Yeah. He's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's great. Hamlet has been a very hard, it's a hard role. And in right. this version, we take away all of his redeeming qualities. Not necessarily redeeming qualities, but a lot of his arc. Oh, okay. Um, no, that, all of all of the characters in this uh, have redeeming qualities. I think okay. that was really important to Nadia to make them really three-dimensional mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. and kind of make you rooting for and against every single one and find something that you can empathize with, but also being like, what the fuck are you doing? Right. Why? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Um, so Hamlet very much is... I think people will be will will get him, but also be like you. You could have avoided all of this. Like every every step for every character, the end result could have been avoided if mm-hmm. they were just could communicate. But none of yeah. them can uh, can communicate. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Cool. Okay. So moving on to Looking Glass, you want to talk about what 
what about Looking Glass as opposed to Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf or just separately from? Yeah, Looking Glass is, um, I was lucky enough to work with the youth ensemble at Looking Glass, which was great. And that's kind of when I like really dove into that community. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're super interesting because they, like me, I think prioritize um, movement or in the last 10 years have gotten very into like Cirque Oh, yeah. uh, and clown. I remember seeing Alice in Wonderland there, or through the, through looking, the looking glass, class, yeah, like in third grade or something. Mm-hmm. My family, and then again it with Doug, uh, my brother, like a couple years later. But yeah, I mean, it sticks with you. Yeah, it's lots of movement and yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, um, I think, really inspiring to me because they're a company that um, it's just really creative and imaginative and really good people. Is the other thing I think it's few and far between when you find a company that's all just like really nice weirdos who are David Schwimmer no I'm kidding (laughs) he owns it right yeah he doesn't own it but yes he is he is a A founding founding father founding father (laughs) to the looking glass leader (laughs) of the United States of America yes exactly (laughs) um yeah but they're and they do a lot of really exciting new work as well Mm -hmm. um so I recently they they're just doing really great stuff but they did a show Beyond Caring which was by a British playwright, and it was about um, really, uh, it was about laborers and like people working the the night shifts, uh, cleaning a meat packing. I plant. heard about that. Yeah, yeah. and it was barely it. any text. Yeah, um, and it it's painful to watch because it's fifteen straight minutes of people mopping and cleaning, and you're just watching the power dynamics and damn, and what is going on with these people. He uses viewpoints so cool. a lot as yeah. well. Um, and I got up and I was talking to one of the actors afterwards and she was like, yeah, you know, on our um, second preview, there was a man at the end of the show who was, he was an el- elderly man and I was worried about him slipping because they mopped the floor a lot. And so I went over <laughs> to help him get up and he turned to me and said, well, that was a piece of shit and like walks off. Did he slip um, and fall? He didn't slip and fall, fall but I'm sure boom. she was wishing for it a little <laughs> right? bit. Uh, and so I think it was a really big risk for them to do a piece that was really controversial and is hard to digest, um, but also showing bodies and voices that are not often shown or heard from or mm. not heard from yeah, in this and telling case. stories that are like, I mean, how many plays are about janitors or whatever? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I found it really movi- moving and a different type of theater that isn't a well-made play and isn't about six men in a living room. Yeah. Um, and so it's work like that paired with their really highly theatrical, highly spectacle-based um, physical performance stuff that I'm really, really, really excited about. Uh, and I think like this whole city could learn a lot from. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Um, let's move on to influence number five. Just uh, throw it in there. Throw I mean, it, there. it doesn't have to be, or we can talk about something and then lead up to it if you'd no, you no, we can. Oh, no, 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 no. You got yeah, one. Yeah, I have just so many. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. It's hard. It's really hard to. It is hard. It's hard when you it have down. so many. It's so many influences, and I don't want to be like, well, my third grade Spanish teacher because <laughs> I didn't have one first of all, yeah. but secondly, they weren't going to help me. Uh, how about our seventh grade Spanish teacher? What was her name? Oh, I don't remember. I do remember our Spanish names though. Yeah, Guadalupe. No, Gloria. Or Gloria. You we sang we that talked. song to me. Gloria yeah. Giello, all right. And I was. Do you remember? No. Lucia. 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 I should I should have known. Spanish names are weird. That's such a weird concept. It's a little problematic, I'm not yeah. gonna lie. Yeah, it's fucked up, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> middle school. Whoa, sorry to, to walk down that path. I keep doing that. Um Yeah, okay, so Oh, influence number five. What's it gonna be? Um it's gonna be another European company slash man named Simon McBurney. He runs a theater company called Complicite that I trained with for a little while. Oh, cool. Yeah. Out there? Yep. When I was in so I I lived and worked in London Mm -hmm. for a while working for a a theater festival that happened in the tunnels underneath of the major train station. I got to go. And it, it was did. fucking crazy. It was, it was like I was in an episode of Skins or something. It yeah. was just like the weirdest. I remember I brought like three other American girls and uh, we're like walking there. Like literally our Uber, our ta- taxi like dropped us off as close as we could get them to like walk under some. Yeah, you walked through graffiti. a graffiti tunnel. Yeah. Through a door. It was, it it was, was crazy. Yeah. really cool. 
Yeah. So that company that so ran not that, that no, no 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 that's the that was like um, that's the Heritage Arts Company who are okay. wonderful and yeah. great and and I learned a lot from that festival but it's a little bit bigger than that okay. so it's a company called Complicite and Simon McBurney started it and uh, trained in clown in mm-hmm. France in that very serious uh, Lecoq training okay um. And I don't know if anything can be serious and be called Lecoq. Yeah, you know what? You're not wrong. Um, <laughs> but it's if you ever, you know, think of the stereotypical like white face, super like serious. Mime or whatever. Kind of, yeah. If you, a lot of people will clump mime okay. with it. Um, oh my God, sorry. Wait, really quick. I'm thinking of your fifth grade talent show. Oh. Weren't you a mime? I think I was. And Arden played the violin or whatever. Yeah. Shout out Arden. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was. Uh, playing wild thing with Ava Thompson. <laughs> yeah. So we were both killing it. <laughs> oh my And God. I wondered why I was never popular as a child. <laughs> oh jeez. We were nerds. Yeah, but look at us now. Still nerds. Yep. <laughs> but beautiful nerds. The the most attractive in every way, shape and form. Um okay, so so he Simon Simon McBurney. So he's a director, playwright, you with him creator. Personally? No, no, I just worked with some of I wish uh, yeah. with some of his company members and learned their style, uh, which is again based in this clown training. Um, but they, I, like a lot of my other influences, are very ensemble based, are very physical based, are into um, telling broad, grand stories with you know nothing but six chairs, um, and that really excites me as a struggling uh, artist with no money and no financial backing, I'm like, how do we tell these huge stories with nothing? Yeah. Um, and they do it really, really, really well. Uh, and it's really imaginative. Um, and so training with them and just watching their work, I was like, how, yeah. Damn. How do they convince the audience to go along with it? Or what's the general, you know, like what, what's their, I think, um, Luckily, for the most part, when an audience comes to see theater, they are down to play Mm -hmm. and they are there to say yes with you. Um, So I think as soon as one or two actors establish a rule, like making theater is all about establishing rules Mm -hmm. and and making it easy for the audience to navigate those rules. And so I think as soon as like a company of people is like, this is this, you know, this bucket is the ocean. Okay. Um, And once the audience gets that, then they're going to want to play the game. Yeah. And so I think that's what Complicite does so well is that they're constantly building these like fun games that are understandable, but also engaging the audience's imagination. Um, And I think audiences do want to be challenged a little bit. If you don't want to be challenged, you can like go watch a movie, right? Right. But there's something really magical about going and seeing uh, a live experience and and being packed in a room with, you know, 300 other living, breathing human bodies and actors on the stage and having this unspoken dialogue. Um, so, yeah, I think audiences, they, they want they want to be a part of the game, right? They want to learn the rules. They want to understand what's going on. And they'll work a little bit harder to do it yeah. because of these conventions. Um, so, hopefully. Otherwise, I'm screwed. <laughs> Exactly. I know. I, I mean, I completely agree. Um, one, and I'm sure you get this a lot, but it's like we were talking about earlier, like with your extended family, like kind of theater, the whole like theater thing, mm-hmm. like the whole theater people, you know. Why do you think that there is a typical like theater person? You know, is there like, is that just a type of personality, you know, that or that drinks the Kool Aid, so to speak? <laughs> or can the general masses be. Can can they benefit from from seeing theater and from you know, I just feel like there's such an attitude of like oh yeah. god you know the, oh, totally you know totally. help me dispel that a little bit why why I should there, normal people go see it yeah I mean I think there is uh, a huge um, divide between yeah. theater people and everybody else and I think that's hugely problematic. Um, Because I do believe that theater is one of the, I mean, why I do it is because I believe it's one of the most powerful tools for change um, and catharsis and emotional response. Um, Again, just echoing things I said earlier, I think it's about the stories we're telling. The divide comes from the stories we're telling and the bodies on the stage. Because you want to go and see people uh, who look like you and who sound like you and who are telling the stories that you can identify with. And so if it's mostly white men or upper middle class white women, um, 
that's not going to create a really diverse audience. And if it's in these houses, right, Steppenwolf is great, but Steppenwolf is expensive. It's not necessarily easy to get to um, if you don't, if you're not near it or if you don't have a car. Uh, um, not always the stories are being told are intriguing to a, a wider audience. Um, and so I think we as artists actually need to further the form and make it more accessible. And, and some companies are doing a really good job of that. I work with a theater company called Collaboration who does social political work. Um, and we tour shows to Inglewood and Austin. And right now we're going to Hermosa as well. Wow. So is, and how are, how, how's that going? It's going really well. It's our, um, it's my third year, I think, working with the company. Um, and it's, it's a challenge, but it's really fulfilling. And you go to Hamilton Park in Englewood and you bring a, uh, a 50 person cast and lights and food Jeez, and community really? organizations and try to get as many people there as you as you can and try to get as many people involved we cast from those neighborhoods too for the shows it's wow. a show of short plays about like hope in the community um so that's a company who's actively like trying to expand you know the theatrical sphere of in- influence in the city and other companies are doing that as well but i think we need to start you know, taking bigger steps yeah. so that it's it's not just the same people in the same room. It's also difficult, though, because those bigger companies are uh, they're putting theater up for their funders, mm-hmm. right? It's such an underfunded art form that you need to still appeal to the people who are paying your checks um, or hmm. signing your checks and, and helping to keep your establishment open. Yeah. So it's a... It's a juggling act. Um, and I think this city, more so than other places, is starting to kind of, you know, break open its shell a little bit. And we're seeing the cracks and the growth and, and how that growing process can be really painful. But the conversations are starting to be had, which is really exciting. Um, and new voices and, and new plays are popping up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we'll see. It's, it's a problem. It's accessibility and invitability is that a word yeah, i hope so now it is. um great going with it i'm saying yes i'm your audience I'm saying yes. <laughs> yes um which i will be this weekend uh this saturday at the hairpin art art center, center. yes um, tell me about the space a little bit oh is it a, a black box or no, is it a, no it's not it's a, a traditional stage. theater no oh. it's not a traditional theater space at all it's a cafeteria um i would do it in a cafeteria <laughs> but it's not it's uh it's a community room kind of that's not a good description of it but multi-purpose it's, room no, that's not a good description of it either. I'm just going to stop. It's a very untraditional space. It's a giant white uh, triangle, like a giant white triangle that's mostly windows. Um, and Ooh. so they use it as a gallery often. Dance pieces happen in there. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful space that's open to all artists mm-hmm. um, to rent or to use or to work in. Um, and it's it's difficult to work in because... There's it's windows a and it's a triangle and <laughs> yeah. it's quite large. Yeah. Um, but I was really excited to put it into a space that isn't so normally theatrical, that isn't a proscenium arch, that isn't a black box, that you can look out the window and see Logan Square. Wow. Um, that oh, that's hopefully cool. the community will come to us a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but that also is supporting so many smaller artists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you, if you come to the show and you're looking for a big, uh, normal looking theater velvet chairs you're, yeah you're not gonna find any bar yeah. yeah five dollar candy bars and no definitely not <laughs> accessibility that's yes. what we're about love it no that's great um and it happens this saturday this saturday at 7 7 30 um so you know go over there go to the show and then go to the stranger things bar <laughs> just kidding good luck <laughs> i was on the list for that shit and it worked out well you got in i said i did I wish you were there. See, it's pretty cool. Um, and okay, so so yeah, I mean, people don't need to know Hamlet to go. No, that was really important to us. Is that you don't you don't need to have any familiarity with mm-hmm. the story. This is a story that's new unto itself. Um, it's inspired by, but still can be a standalone piece. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay, so I'm just, I'm gonna end this interview just by asking you. What's your five-year goal for this 
for whole the, endeavor for this for whole you, endeavor for you oh for me and your deck yeah because that's what this interview is about i know i've talked a lot about the ideals behind theater and chicago theater but you genevieve fowler what why why do you direct and what do you, where do you want to go with it what why is you know that um, your dream yeah i direct because uh i'm a selfish human yeah and i really enjoy it i uh, love to boss people around i oh <laughs> you know it um <laughs> But I guess my my dream is to is to continue um, doing the work that I'm doing and and getting more opportunities to push the forum and to push this community in a really productive way. I would love five years from now to to still be directing to mm-hmm. not have quit, which I don't expect to happen, um, and be creating new work that is emotionally engaging and, and pushing audiences, hopefully on a larger platform than just this one night showing Mm -hmm. i'd love for formal theater communities to kind of get involved in what we're doing and then hopefully to to bring it abroad and to bring myself and this stuff abroad too to make an impact in chicago and then um take my work and my ideals and my craft other places and not compromise on these things i think a lot of artists uh generally will just kind of mold themselves into what else is going on here and i hope i don't do that yeah you and won't. Hopefully, I am successful not doing will that. Be. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I'm so proud of you, Thanks. and I'm so excited to see the show and see what awesome stuff your career brings you. Thanks, lady. And I'm excited to have you as a recurring guest on. Oh yeah. This and many other podcasts. That Anytime I you want someone to vent, <laughs> right? I am here. Good. Awesome. Um, thank you so much, Genevieve, for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, and can't wait to come again. The, that is Saturday. The the ninth. The ninth. Tuesday, Wednesday. Yep. <laughs> Saturday, September 9th, two thousand seventeen. Um, so if you're listening to this after the fact, then you better find yourself a time machine and go to that show. Uh, the show is "Here Comes the Tide, There Goes the Girl," uh, directed by the lovely Genevieve Fowler. Um, thank you so much for being here. And this is Lisa FM. Thank you.